Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, we're taking on the difficult question of should you get a divorce and how do you even make that decision? Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson, and I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Pete, it's just you and me today. We've had some guests on the show previously, but you're stuck with me, brother. They, hey, they've been great, but you know what? It, this is where the magic is, Seth. It's the magic. Mwah. Yeah. Perfect. But when the magic isn't so magical anymore, how do we make that decision, Pete? You, that segue you just made made all the little hairs stand up on the back of my neck. <laughs> I just want you to know you're a professional podcaster now. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I would say that the hairs on the back of my neck, but I don't have any hairs on my head or the back of my <laughs> neck. So, hey, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. We wanted to talk about that, that, that space that you're, you're not yet in the act of divorce, right? You are, you are, you realize that something has gone horribly awry in your relationship. And I, I think about it. All I've been thinking about is that last step when you're on, when you're, your kids, say, hey, you should you should go jump off the high platform, dad. Do a cannonball off the 10 meter because peer pressure, peer pressure, you want to be the brave dad and you don't like jumping off of high things and yet you're standing there and you realize you're looking down, you realize this could, I'm going to do it wrong and I'm going to break every bone in my body. That's fear. How do you know when to jump? Right. You just yeah. described fear, the yeah. unknown. Let me first start by being very clear. We're talking about today of relationships that you might, you're considering going through a divorce, but there are no major physical violence, okay? If you're in an abusive relationship, that's not the conversation we're having. Please seek help. Please, 911, if you're in mm -hmm. danger. Th those, those issues are not easy to get out of, those are issues that I think any reasonable person would say, if you're being physically abused by your spouse, you should get out of that relationship. Right. So that's not the issues we're talking right. about. We're talking about maybe it's two good people. There's no physical violence. Um, no one's hiding money. There's no one's cheating on anybody. It's just not working. It's okay. just not working for you. So I just want to kind of lay that groundwork. Well, and and from your perspective, it would would you classify that as more the norm in terms of just a percent of cases that you handle? Or do you just, is it just all a, a complete potpourri? Of no, I would, I, I would say that, that there are domestic violence is um, prevalent in our society. It yeah. covers all socio and economic classes. It is the type of thing that is hidden from your friends and others. So there's more of it out there than you would think, Pete, but that is not the typical divorce. Okay. Okay. The typical divorce, and I'm, you know, air quotes over typical, are two people that it's just not working. Now, right. there's a lot that goes around. It's just not working. Sure. But for today, it's really about focusing on you. Kind of back to our, one of our previous podcasts where like the most important relationship you have is the one with yourself mm -hmm. because ultimately it takes two people to get married, but only one to get divorced. 
that's some real wisdom right there. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I'm, I'm impressed. You like buckled up for that going. You yeah, know. a little bit. Is it, you classify this as sort of your divorce, right? What do you mean? Well, I, I just, uh, you know, your, your, something wasn't working. Right. Right. Something wasn't working. And I'm very close, as I've said on this podcast yeah. before, with my former spouse. And we're going to talk about kind of what your experience when you're thinking about breaking up and letting people down. So I'll fast forward and then rewind. But my mom was just devastated that I was getting a divorce. Oh, about about your divorce. About my divorce. Wow. And, you know, at that generation, they all get together, they talk about the grandkids or they talk about the holidays. And she has to say, well, I didn't have you know, my grandson this holiday because he was with his mom and Seth, did, you know, on their parenting plan. I mean, that's not a fun conversation for a grandparent to have, right? It's no, not no. my year to have Christmas or, and there's no, you know, check your jurisdiction, but, you know, grandparents' rights are pretty thin, you know, if at all existent. So they only get to see the kid if the parent says you can see the kid. And when the parent doesn't have the kid because the kid's with the other parent, your former in, uh, you know, your daughter-in-law or son-in-law, it, it's tough. But what my mom has told me more than once, and I'm sure if she's listening to this podcast, she'll say, yeah, but it's really a credit to your former spouse, not to you, but <laughs> not to you. <laughs> she just says that, you know, I'm amazed about how things have worked out and how well you guys parent together and how adjusted yeah. my son is. And when you're talking about going through this process, and I'll just start with this, it's, are you letting yourself down? Like you stood up in front of all your friends and family and said, yes, I will be married to this person for the rest of my life. And that's a capital O oath right there. Right. And now you have to go and say, mm, appreciate those wedding gifts, but we're going to start arguing over who's dividing them, you know, never yeah. the intent. And you got to talk to your friends about, hey, it's not working Now Look, everybody, your closest friends are going to support you. Your family is going to support you. They might say, look, we think this is the perfect person for you. If it's not working, it's not working. You're, you, There's more support out there than you think, but it's still difficult to go through the process. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, let's let's talk about how that how that starts. Well, how do you think you would feel, Pete? How do you think you would feel? Well, I'm, I'm one of those people who f finds himself uh, often paralyzed by difficult decisions and choices. And I have to imagine that, uh, and actually, I guess I can say there is a parallel, right? When you're just a, a breakup from really any long-term relationship has maybe to, to a lesser degree, but but some sense of that emotional impact of the decision decision to to end things, you know. And I've had a, a number of multi-year relationships where we felt like we were on track toward toward marriage that ended because things weren't weren't working ultimately and how did it physically feel do you remember crushing yeah no i do of course uh, and i think i think that uh, i don't know i'd be interested in your thoughts on that i think that sense memory of what it feels like the moment you realize it's over is i still feel it with past relationships Love hurts. and yeah and i've been married 21 years and right. i still feel that i don't even remember in some cases what they look like. It would take me a picture to conjure up specific details of what they look like. That makes me sound terrible, but I remember what it felt like to end the relationship. Well, that's not uncommon. And here's why. Psychological studies show 
when you're breaking up with someone like you've just described, in the brain, it lights up the same as if you're being pricked with a needle. It's actual pain. It's the same feeling. So when they say love hurts, that's what they mean. Also, which when I read this, I thought it was just unbelievable, but it made sense to me. You're also going through the same thing that people go through who are addicted and they're getting off whatever their addiction is. Oh, wow. So, you know, when you break up and then you go back and then you break up and go back, that's like a relapse. That's what's happening in your brain. And you're also dealing with the five stages of grief and loss. And so for those of you out there who just cannot rattle those off at the top of your head, <laughs> denial, right? Like, yeah. no, this isn't happening to me. I can't believe she's leaving. No, like, what, what's wrong? It's not happening. Or I'm just angry. Are you yeah. kidding me? Then there's the bargaining. I'll do Please anything to leave. make this work. Please don't right. leave. Okay, so that's when someone mentions they're getting ready to leave and then all of a sudden, okay, I'll change, I'll change, I'll change. Mm-hmm. I'll do better, I promise, right? Depression, really dangerous there. You mm-hmm. just fall within yourself, nothing gets done. And then the most important one is acceptance. Of course, it's at the end. These are not linear. It's not like, oh, I'm in denial now and you know, two weeks from now, I'll be in anger and two Mm-hmm. I'll be in bargaining and two weeks later, I'll be depressed. No, it's up and down, side to side, circular, web, however you want to call it. And it can take a long time. It can take three years to deal with grief. Well, and I imagine it's not a, a foreign concept to deal with these out of order too, right? Like I, I can- There is no can, order. Yeah, I can totally see reaching acceptance and still being chronically depressed about the turn in your that your life has taken, right? Right. So there's all sorts of permutations to these five. So being self-aware and understanding that when you're saying to yourself, okay, have I done everything I need to do to make sure that I can put my head on the pillow at night and say, I did everything I could to make this relationship work. It just, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's really important. The flip side of that is that can't go on for three years, four years, five years, 10 years. I hear it all the time. Oh, no, this relationship was done 10 years ago. We just stayed together for the kids. Okay. Can we now, can we talk about that? Sure. Uh, Because, you know, I, I have a lot of friends, as I'm sure many of us do. And, uh, you know, and listeners out there whose own parents might have that same story. And I cannot think of one example where that has worked out in the way that the divorcing parents thought was going to work out. It always works out in a way that is more damaging and breaks down the relationship far greater than they ever would uh, had they actually come clean with the kids and said, this is great. So that is that has been my experience in the subset of relationships that I know, my rigorous empirical research. It never works out the way they think it is. It's going to work out. Is, is that an accurate assessment of a broader landscape? Well, let me answer it very simply. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> I was you, going to get very convoluted right. in there. Yes, well, I feel, agree. Isn't, that feels so much like a part of, of bargaining, 
right? This is a deal right. we're going to make because we don't know how to deal with our own grief. Because if you're going to deal with that, do people really sit down and say, this relationship between us is not working. We need to stay married until the kids are out of high school. And this is how we're going to fashion our lives. Mm-hmm. That's not what happens. What happens is they don't have that conversation or yeah, look, right when the kids are out, we're out. But then one person's doing their thing, the other's doing their thing. They're not co-parenting well together. They're, they're not communicating well as husband and wife or spouse and spouse, whatever the case may be. And then there gets resentment and there's anger and there's, well, look at how the money's being done. And mm-hmm. there's all those other issues that go on that are never discussed. And when people say I'm staying together for the kids, what they don't understand, and it's because the studies are all out there, there are all these things about kids of divorce, all these bad things, right? They don't do well in school, they they fall out of their extracurriculars, they might be susceptible to falling into drugs and alcohol, there's all this stuff. Bad, bad, bad. The key from people that I have spoken to And I think Dr. Gaze told me this, um, but I could be wrong. The key to whether a child turns out okay in quotes or doesn't have all those negative things from divorcing parents is the relationship that the parents have. Right, right. If it is not negative, if it's a positive relationship, they're not throwing each other under the bus, they're not talking bad about each other. The more the parents can get along and co-parent the higher likelihood that kid is not going to have those negative aspects of divorce. So it's not the divorce. It's avoiding the conflict. So let me say that again. It's not the divorce. It's avoiding the conflict and making sure those parents are in sync. Feels like there's some reprogramming, some deprogramming and reprogramming we need to do around the language that we use there because, you know, you, you hear things like, well, what kind of role models are we, are we if we don't demonstrate that we can stick it out to our, uh, you know, stick out our promises to each other in front of our kids, right? But really, what kind of role model are you if when you come clean to your kids that you're getting a divorce as they're adults, that they realize they've been effectively lied to for two, five, ten years? You can be, therefore, a great role model to your kids in divorce by way of figuring out how to, how to, puzzle through this relationship. My son, I know, is very, I would say, pleased, but it's just, it's not even that. He's just so comfortable that he knows his mom and dad both love him and both care about him and care about each other. Mm -hmm. So he's big into theater. I mean, it's COVID now, so he's not doing any performances. But when he has a theater performance at school, whoever gets there first just saves the seat for the other parent. Like, I'll text, hey, I'm here. How many people are coming? Oh, three. Plus, he also gets like 50 people show up. Yeah, right. It's, it's like crazy. Yeah. We're like, okay, yeah. we'll take half the theater. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, these small <laughs> school theaters. So, and then at the end, it's, we all go up and give him hugs. Well, now he's with his friends. You know, he's 16 yeah, and there all. Are, but there are limits, Dad. Yeah, exactly. But having that, and when he sees that compared to other kids in his peer group, whose parents will not even come to the same performance. They get it, you know? Mm-hmm. They get that that he's so thankful that we get along so well. That's, that is role model behavior. And I feel like exactly. you cannot say that loudly enough. 
That is role model behavior as uh, divorced parents of a child. And you should honor and care for and cherish that. Right. But that is getting back to, do you go through a divorce? Are you going to get through a divorce? There's ways to do it and ways not to do it. But when you're making that decision, I'm just staying for the kids. I think you should really kind of think that through. Yeah. Okay. So, so at that point, then we're still standing on the edge of the 10 meter, right? At, at some point, you, you have to figure out a way through that paralysis, I guess, and jump. One thing to think about is, do you want to feel the same way you feel now a year from now, two years from now, three years from now? If the answer to that question is no, then you either really need to start working on that relationship to the best that you can, or you need to get out of that relationship. But staying in there and having your eat away at your soul and not making progress on improving the relationship or not making progress to ending the relationship and being in that limbo, I just think is crushing. The question is then how do you do that? Right. So one, I strongly advocate that you go see a mental health professional that is not one that you necessarily see with your spouse if you're in marriage counseling. I think having your own person that is just there for you to help you get through these processes and get through your thinking and get through these stages of grief and talk about how you're dealing with pain and different things that you can do is vitally important in making that decision. It's also, and this is a big one, fear. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of being alone. It's fear of how the finances are going to work. It's fear of what's going to happen with kids if you have kids. It's the fear of looking your friends in the eye and telling you it's not working. So learning to deal with that fear is vitally important in the way I deal with fear is get information. You're doing nothing wrong if you are reaching out to talk to a lawyer and saying, I don't know if I want to get a divorce. I'm still working on this relationship, but I'm fearful of how things will go if I get divorced. Will I not have the house? What about money? What about this? What about that? It's okay to reach out and say, I'm just trying to figure out what the landscape looks like. Okay. And divorce is a process. It's not fun. We talked about you can't go over it, around it. You have to go through it. But getting the information to give you a sense of what it may look like, quote unquote, on the other side is also helpful. But just take it in. It's not, I'm calling because I want to get the lawyer that's going to take my spouse through the ringer. That's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about how do you get some basic information so you can understand that process. Now, are there any any signs or triggers? I, I, you know, you go back to to what it feels like to kind of recognize that this thing is over. And I'm I'm sitting here wondering, like, at what point will I look back and say, uh, as somebody who might be on the way to divorce, what would I look back and say? Oh, that was it. That was the moment that I really like. I came home and he was listening to his Big Head Todd albums again. 
And I just can't take Big Head Todd. I never think there's one moment, but you know, you told me the story. I think it was the very first episode where she realized that she wanted to get a divorce when they were having sex, yeah, which I yeah. said was a really bad time. The worst time. Yeah. Or is it is it when you make the call to the lawyer? Like even like if I'm going so far as to gather information, you know, from an attorney, is is that a is that a trigger? I don't think any there's one trigger. I think it's death by a thousand cuts. I think Got it's it. the the I don't think there's a straw that breaks the camel's back like that was it. I think there are those moments that it's like, yeah, okay, I'm done. Like you make the switch. And what counselors have told me when when I send people to marriage counseling, they say that they can work on any relationship. Obviously, they're psychologists only if both people are willing to do the right. work. But if one person is already out, if they're back at acceptance, if they've already broken up and I'm this relationship's done, I need to move on on my own, that counseling's never going to work. Right. Okay. Right. Now, there are some issues that are issues that like, yeah, that's the moment, right? I want to move across the country to be closer to my family. No, I'm not moving. Well, that's that seems like a moment. That might be a moment, yeah. right? So there's right. certainly things like that or... I am not going ever again to my in-laws for Christmas. For whatever's going mm -hmm. on there, that could be the moment. Like, I'm done with these, okay? So there, I think there are those moments, but those are so long in coming. Sure. But, like, if we're really splitting up because of how an in-law treats you and you're not your own unit, right? You're splitting up for another reason. You're, you're addressing a symptom there. Right. Well, and yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you said, for, for me, you said the most important thing earliest, which is, you know, you listen to yourself. And if you can lay your pillow, your head on your pillow every night and answer the question, have I done everything that I can do to make this work? And you still feel settled that the answer is yes, then that might be all the sign you're looking for. And I would just add to that, give yourself a time frame. Mm -hmm. Don't get stuck in, oh, but the next thing, or maybe. I'm just going to give it 10 more years. Right. That's where you're going to get back into this whole psychology of addiction. Oh, I'm going to mention it to him or to her. Yeah. And then she says she'll change. And then you come back. Like you have to make a decision. And I'm not advocating. Don't please don't take this as advocating that the decision is to get a divorce. That's not right. what I'm saying here. I'm just saying you make a plan to build a house. Right. So make a plan to be in your relationship and improve it or make a plan to work like Dr. Gaze would say in a very collaborative way to get out of your relationship. It doesn't have to be burn everything down. And I will tell you, Pete, I know that I find comfort when I put my head on the pillow at night and underneath it is Black's Law Dictionary. Take me to school. Take me to school, Seth. Some legalese here from Black's Law Dictionary, 8th edition. Legalese, the word is separation. Legal separation or judicial separation. Number one, an arrangement whereby spouses live apart from each other while remaining married, either by mutual consent, open paren, often in a written agreement, closed paren, or by judicial decree the act of carrying out such an arrangement. All right, let's talk about that in plain English. 
if in writing there's a legal separation, it would be a contract. So you're with your spouse and you say, look, let's give each other a break. We're going to write it down on a document. We're going to sign it, a legal separation. That's between you and your spouse and how you'll handle finances or kid issues if you have them while you're still married, but not getting divorced. Please, please check with your lawyer in your local jurisdiction because not all jurisdictions recognize or will enforce a legal separation, even if you think it's an enforceable contract. All right, Seth, I I, I, I want to follow up on, on the dictionary here. You said there are some jurisdictional issues about whether or not the court will enforce a contract. And we're talking about separation. What's that, What's that about? about? Yeah. <laughs> right. So I come over to your house, Pete, and you need it painted. And you say, Seth, paint my house for 100 bucks. And I say, okay, that's an oral contract. I go, I buy the paint, I paint it. You're actually pleased with my work. You didn't realize I was such a handyman and you give me a hundred bucks. No problem. Okay. That's an enforceable contract. There are lots of contracts that people can enter into that are not enforceable. Can you think of any? Um, Legal quiz, pop quiz, contracts 101. (laughs) Well, honestly, like the example you just gave me, an oral contract, I would have said that's not enforceable. Like it's not recorded anywhere. How is that? Like it's, it, it doesn't, it have to be written down. Nope, you can have oral contracts. All right. Uh, now, some some contracts require it to be written down. Like in Florida, if you're buying or selling land, it has to be written down. Okay. Okay. All right. How about this? I have a contract with you. It's written down that every week I will buy illegal drugs for you from you for an X amount. Hi, my name is Tony Montana, and I would <laughs> like to talk to you about my cocaine problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to buy coke from you once a week for this amount. Just for the record, I have no idea how much coke costs, so I'm not even going to guess. And <laughs> and and I breached the contract. You're going to go into court and try to enforce that contract? Yeah, of right. course not. Yeah, okay. okay. So there's all, right. all sorts of contracts that are enforceable. But here's the thing, and this is why in some jurisdictions separation contracts are not enforceable. The example I gave to you, and I know I'm talking legalese, but it's important to understand this because people will say, well, we wrote it down. I got an email and he confirmed it in my text. Okay. But <laughs> here's the deal. I feel like you when, were mocking me just now. So no, just a little ahead. bit. Yeah, just, all right. <laughs> That's only because you try to use the legal language. It's <laughs> so cute. But here's the deal, Pete. When I come to you as a painter, and you have me paint your house, that's what we call in the legal world an arm's length transaction. Both people are on equal ground to negotiate that contract. You can go to another painter. You don't have to use me. I don't have to paint your house. I might get a better job down the street because he's paying more or whatever the case may be. Inherently, a contract between spouses is not an arm's length transaction. Oh. You are not at arm's length if you're sleeping together that night, right? Right, right. So let's just be clear about that. And so when there's that potential, it doesn't even have to be true. There's the potential that there is an imbalance of power in negotiating and then executing that contract. That is a reason that the court might take a closer look or might say, that's just not enforceable. Okay. So really check with your local lawyer in your jurisdiction about whether separation agreements are even enforceable because people might say, 
I'm thinking about going through this. They're actually having positive conversations with their spouse. And they say, let's give it a trial separation. Let's get a contract so we know who's paying what bills. You're going to get an apartment. I'll stay in the house. I'll pay the bills at the house. I'll pay you so much a month so you can get the apartment, but you got to start looking for work. You're kind of trying it out, testing the waters. And then the next thing you know, you get a divorce and you go to file and you're like, well, wait, this was our agreement on separation. We're still separated. We're getting divorced now. And we're like, that's not enforceable. Mm. Yeah. What, what do you mean? It's written down. It's even signed and notarized. And yeah. they'll have all these mechanical issues on how they did it. But the contract in it of itself, even if it is quote unquote fair, might not be enforceable. Okay. So this is why we do this segment, right? Working with your lawyer. So my first question is, and I don't know if you can answer this even remotely quickly, uh, how would you go about resolving that? And, and, and if you're going into this, how do you, how do you create a, a agreement that is enforceable? Or is that even something you would try to do? It's not even, well, you have to check with your local lawyer okay. if it in right. your jurisdiction. If you are in a jurisdiction that those separation agreements are enforceable, then I would advise, of course, talk to a lawyer. Yeah. Right. Um, but the first step is, are they even enforceable? Because yeah. if not, you can have an agreement, which is fine. It just might not be an enforceable contract okay. under the law. So if you're going to move out and they say they're going to pay the rent, I would tell you, mm, put their name on the lease. Yeah. Because that's it's an enforceable, enforceable contract, contract between the landlord and them. Yeah. Don't put your name in hoping that you're going to get this gift every month. Right. So there's those types of issues that even if it's not an enforceable contract, a lawyer might say, look, are you seeing a counselor? You guys are trying to trial separation. What are you going to do? Here are some things you can do that will make people do X, Y, and Z. Maybe you divide some assets and you put them in a bank account with your own name just so you have access so no one can cut yeah. you off. Right. There's things okay. like that that can happen. All right. So we're working with our lawyer. We're at we're standing on the edge of that uh, 10 meter platform and uh, we're we're coming to a decision. What do you say to your lawyer in that call when you're when you're how do you work with your lawyer at this stage of your decision making process? What do you expect as the lawyer? I take it very seriously to make sure before I ever file a divorce case for a client to make sure that they are ready to go through this. That's if they're the one initiating it. They're, they're the ones like, hey, okay, I want to file first. If mm -hmm. in Florida, if you get quote unquote sued for divorce, your, your spouse goes files for divorce. Technically, it's a lawsuit. Two people to marry, one person to get divorced. Now I'm like, I, I'm sorry that you don't want it, but you're got you know, there's some very minor things, not minor. There's some things that we can do to ask the court to send you guys back to counseling that the marriage is not irretrievably broken. In Florida, you can try to tell the court, please don't let us get divorced now. Make us go to counseling. It's usually unsuccessful, but th there's kind of this little card that you can play. And some judges are like, no, it takes two. Some judges huh. are like, okay, I'm going to send you counseling for three months. Come back after three months. Some jurisdictions, you have to be separated for over a year before you can actually get divorced. Really? Yeah. It's different in different jurisdictions. So those jurisdictions have enforceable agreements. I think Louisiana is one of them. So this is why everybody goes to Las Vegas. 
That's right. That's right. All Where right. there's a lot of unenforceable contracts. A lot of unenforceable add. contracts. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're talking to your lawyer about getting this process started, okay, that lawyer, I believe, should be making sure that you're actually ready to do this. So you're making that first call. Uh, how do you know who to call if you don't have a relationship with a lawyer? What is your strategy behind getting the best information from uh, the best legal resource that you can find? Recognizing that the first answer is look at your pocketbook. Right. I mean, the first question is, do they do a podcast? Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> if the answer is yes, do not hire them. Do not- <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so talk to your friends, look online, look at reviews. But we've talked about this. When you're calling a lawyer, have a plan of what you're trying to get out of that conversation and you're interviewing them. Mm-hmm. Right, It has to be the right fit for you and the right fit for them. I know there are people out there that when they are thinking about getting divorce, even if they're not there yet, they're so terrified about the process, they will ask around to say, who is the meanest, most unethical, or even a great lawyer that's just going to put you through the ringer if your spouse was represented by them? They will go talk to that lawyer because once they do, that lawyer is not allowed to represent the other side. It's called conflicting out. They have to pay for this session, right? I mean, you're not just doing these complimentary exploratory sessions for nothing. I do free consultations all the time. Okay. So I would not be surprised if somebody said, call Seth because you don't want your spouse to hire him. Wow. So they might call me with no intention of ever hiring me, just they don't want me in the case. Yeah. I'm just going to use me as an example. I can't think of any clients or, well, they might perceive that, right? Right. Whether your perception's your reality. The point of that though is when you're thinking about hiring a lawyer, you want to find someone that's the right fit for you. But I know people out there that are like, that lawyer is not for me because I know he's going to burn it all down and take all my money and he'll litigate, 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 never listen to me. But I don't want my spouse to have that lawyer either. Yeah. So, but when you're calling and thinking about a divorce and you're just getting the information about what does it look like on the other side? What is the process like? That goes back to those list of questions. And you should start with, I do not know if I'm ready to actually do this. I'm just trying to understand the landscape, get my ducks in a row. Yeah. I might never hire you, which is fine. That lawyer should then be either they're giving you a free consultation and you're paying them for their time and they should be open and honest and and go through through that conversation with you. I don't know that it gets any easier knowing all of this stuff. I don't know that it gets any easier to actually jump off the platform, but I feel like uh, at least we have set the bar for what the experience might look like to to begin the process of of actually separating. It's not easy at all. Not easy. Right? And you have all those inner thoughts and you're dealing with your own stages of grief. You're dealing with the just psychology and the uh, of the brain and the biology of it. It's like getting off an addiction. No yeah. one is saying this is easy. We're just saying, or I'm just saying, with your help, is be true to yourself, make a plan, Give yourself a time frame. Think it through. Thank you, Seth Nelson. 
Thanks, Pete. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Always a pleasure to podcast with you, my friend. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. Uh, you know, if this, if anything that we've talked about has ever touched you, uh, if you find it's helping you to uh, navigate the waters of your own separation, uh, if you know somebody who might be going through a, a similar process, please share the podcast with them. We know it's it it might be we've we've been getting comments from folks who are listening to the show and they. They feel bad that they're not sharing it out loud because of where they are in their process. It's okay. We, we sure appreciate you sharing and spreading the word of, of the toaster uh, to those who, who might need it. Even if you're not shouting it from the rooftops, uh, any share helps. And so we appreciate you and we appreciate your time and uh, uh, we sure appreciate your ears. So on behalf of Seth Nelson, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.